Hi, this is Rosh Oman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Marie that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around that celebrates the completion, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and the sacraments. Well, we're a couple of weeks into Lent right now, and I thought I would dedicate this show to Lent and what Lent is all about. And the heart of this show will be an extended reading from a work by St. Francis de Sales, a very wonderful uh, Catholic saint of, um, let me do some quick arithmetic, I believe the 16th century. Um, and I, I'm almost sure the 16th century. And he was known as the saint maker because he was uh, such gave such good spiritual direction and such good spiritual guidance that a number of his followers or disciples also became saints. And then for the centuries that followed, his works of spiritual direction, so to speak, have been the almost the bread and butter for generation after generation of, of Catholics reaching for sanctity, some of whom actually did become saints. And uh, one of his one of his uh, major works is called Introduction to the Devout Life. They're all, by the way, out of copyright by now and are available for free all over the internet. So what I'll be reading from today is St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to a Devout Life. Um, before I do so, let me make two comments about it. One is, it is old-fashioned Catholic truth. So it's very sobering. It involves meditations on, of course, the goodness of God and the generosity of God in creating us, but also meditations on the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of the final judgment and the particular judgment and the danger, the very real danger of rather than ending up with an eternity in heaven, ending up with an eternity in hell. So it's definitely a PG rated rather than GP rated. Uh, it's not R rated, thank God. And uh, so I want to give that warning. And I also just want to start with um, a little introduction to it by way of talking about Lent and what Lent is all about. You will recall, of course, that Lent begins with Ash Wednesday. And we all go to church and receive a cross in ashes on our forehead. And that's not a good luck charm, of course. It's for a purpose. And the purpose is reflected in the words that the priest says in the traditional rite, which is, Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. In other words, God created us out of the dust of the earth, and we are going to be in these animated, active, conscious bodies for at most 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And after that, our bodies shall return to dust. And everything between birth and death will go away at that point. However, everything between death and the rest of eternity, which is not a fixed amount of time, but, you know, 100 million years is nothing compared to eternity because eternity never ends. And everything in eternity will have been determined by our short period of time on earth. And that is, in fact, one of the keystone purposes of Lent is to soberly look at this life in the light of eternity, which is why it's inaugurated 
by the ashes on our forehead and that line, that um, blessing, so to speak. Remember, man, that thou art dust and under dust, unto dust thou shalt return. So the purpose of Lent is to a large extent to weigh this life versus eternal life and then to come back and see this life in the light of eternal life. All of our pleasure, all of our self-indulgence, all of our sin will end up with our corpses rotting in the grave. Whereas all of those pleasures, self-indulgences and sin, once the body has no more use of them and, and we're just rotting in the grave, will be the determinants of our eternity and will determine whether we are blissfully happy for all eternity or horribly deprived of the presence of God and suffering for all eternity. I used to um, hang around with the Franciscans of the Immaculate in New Bedford and for a long time their superior was a wonderful, very holy, if I can say so, a priest, Father Peter Fellner. And when he said grace at every meal, he used to say with his wonderful booming voice, remember, life is short and eternity is long. So that's really, in a nutshell, the purpose of Lent to a large extent is to remember life is short and eternity is long. And of course, the ability to resist the pleasures in this life, the ability to make the right trade-offs requires self-mastery, self-discipline, uh, an ability to assert our wills over our appetites, essentially. And the practices of Lent are designed, uh, the fasting, the abstinence, um, the various uh, spiritual practices we might commit to during Lent are designed to strengthen our self-mastery, strengthen the uh, power, the, the strength of our will over our appetites and our uh, fallen nature inclinations. The, um, the Curé of Ars used to say that if you're so concerned with the pleasures of your body, if you're so concerned with your satisfactions in this life, go to the grave and think about the rotting corpses a few feet under the earth. And that's where you're going to end up. And that's where all of your pleasures and physical sensations are going to end up um, as a means of reminding us of what's important and what's not important. Similarly, there is a classical spiritual Catholic practice called memento mori, or the remembrance of death. And uh, very often when one sees paintings of Catholic saints, they will be presented with a saint meditating on a skull. I know there's a very famous El Greco of St. Francis of Assisi, of Assisi meditating on a human skull, you know, uh, sitting there with a skull in his hand and looking at it and meditating. And that was a practice that saints did to bring home to them what the end of this life is and um, in a sense, what the beginning of real life is, is when we're rotting in the grave and our eternal life begins dependent on how we spent this life. Um, so remembering death is, in a sense, the strongest antidote to letting us um, run free with our appetites and our passions and our desire for pleasure, which very often tragically leads us into sin. Um, and... Uh, 
anyway, so that's by way of introduction, I guess. So I will simply turn to reading from a series of meditations in St. Francis de Sales' uh, Introduction to the Devout Life. Again, um, this is a live call-in program, and the number here is 866-333-6279. So if anyone wishes to call into the program, I will interrupt myself and um, turn to the phone lines. And uh, I will be taking a short musical break in the middle of the show. And if you wish to call in during that break, that's a particularly graceful time to do so because then I will simply come out of the break and take the calls uh, at that point. And the number is 866-333-6279. And I'll keep an eye on the message board here and um, uh, turn to the calls if they come in. So turning to St. Francis de Sales uh, meditations in his introduction to the devout life. First meditation is on the creation. Consider that not many years ago you were not yet in the world and that your being was a mere nothing. Where were you, O oh my soul, at that time? The world had then already lasted so many ages, and yet we existed not. God has formed you out of nothing to make you what you are, purely of his own goodness, having no need whatsoever of you. Consider the being that God has given you, for it is the highest in the visible world, capable of eternal life and of being perfectly united in love to his divine majesty. Humble yourself exceedingly in the presence of God, saying in your heart with the psalmist, O Lord, I am in thy sight as a mere nothing, and how thas, oops, and how hast thou thought of me to create me? Alas, my soul, thou wert lost in that ancient nothing, and had not and had yet been there, had not God drawn thee from thence. What could thou have done remaining there? Give thanks to God. O oh, my great and good creator, how am I indebted to thee? since thou hast vouchsafed to make me out of nothing, and by thy great mercy to make me what I am. What can I do to bless thy holy name as I ought, and to render due thanks to thy inestimable goodness? Alas, my Creator, instead of uniting myself to thee by love and service, I have become rebellious by my inordinate affections, wandering and straying from thee, to unite myself to sin, valuing thy goodness no more than if thou hadst not been my creator. O my soul, know that the Lord is God. It is he that has made thee, and not thou thyself. O God, I am the work of thy hand. I will not henceforth take pleasure in myself, since of myself I am nothing. Why do you magnify yourself, O dust and ashes? Yea, rather, O mere nothing, why do you exalt yourself? To humble myself, therefore, I resolve to do whatever I resolve to do during this Lent. I will change my life henceforth, follow my Creator, and esteem myself honored with that condition and being which he has given me, employing it entirely in obedience to his will, by such means as shall be taught me, and I shall learn from my spiritual fathers. Give thanks to God, 
Bless your God, O my soul, and let all my being praise his holy name, for his goodness has drawn me and his mercy has created me out of nothing. O my God, I offer to thee the being which you have given me. From my heart I dedicate and consecrate it to you. O God, strengthen me in these affections and resolutions. O Holy Virgin, recommend them to the mercy of your Son, with all for whom I ought to pray. So ends the first meditation. So the theme of the first meditation is simply to consider that God created the world, that the world existed for countless ages before he created us out of nothing for no purpose other than to serve him and love him and be with him for all eternity. He didn't have to do it. There's nothing in it to him for having done it. Um, except the love which he wants to receive from us. And not only did he create us out of nothing uh, for no selfish purpose of his own, but he didn't just create us out of nothing. It would have been enough if he created us out of nothing, like he created dogs and cats and horses and so forth, who in some sense know pleasure and have a life and so forth. But no, he created us actually as the most exalted of all created physical beings, for sure. I think it's arguable that he actually created us more exalted than the angels because the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is a created human being, is the queen of the angels. She's more exalted than the angels. In any case, he created us as such exalted beings that we are designed to be in a spousal union with God for all eternity the divinity flowed into our humanity. Our humanity flows into the divinity. That's how he created us. He didn't create us to be the food of worms underground, six feet under, and he didn't create us to suffer in hell for all eternity. He created us with this inconceivable dignity and nobility and purpose. And so with that as a backdrop, St. Francis of Sales invites us to meditate on this, and to give proper thanks and God, thanks and praise to God for having created us and having created us into this state, and then to use that as a springboard to meditate on how have we reciprocated, how much honor and glory and devotion and dedication and obedience to him have we given him, versus how much have we, excuse the expression, spit in his face in return, choosing sin and choosing our own base pleasures and offending him instead of giving him the honor and praise and uh, obeisance that is due to him. And then finally to turn this into a resolution to do that no longer and to from here on turn to him with our whole hearts, our whole minds and our whole wills as we should. That's just a little encapsulation of this first um, of this first meditation. And with that, I will go on to the second meditation, which is on the end for which we were created. God has not placed us in this world for any need he has of us, who are altogether unprofitable to him, but only in order to exercise his goodness in us by giving us his grace and glory. And to that end, he has enriched us with an understanding to know him, with a memory to be mindful of him, 
a will to love him, in imagination to represent to ourselves his benefits, eyes to behold his wondrous works, a tongue to praise him, and so forth of all of our other faculties. I'm going to interrupt. That is worth reminding ourselves of. He has given us these gifts to serve him and to love him with. He has given us an understanding. This is all, of course, beyond any other physical creature that he's created. I'm leaving aside for the moment the angels. There's obviously no animal on earth that he has given an understanding with which to know God, a memory with which to be mindful of God, a will with which to love God, an imagination with which to represent in our mind's eyes all of his benefits, eyes with which to behold the splendor and the wonder of his physical creation, a tongue with which to praise him and give him glory, and so forth of all our other faculties, it would do us well to meditate on the faculties, all of the human faculties that he's given us, and the purpose, the high purpose, that he has endowed them with to give him praise and glory and honor, and to contrast that with what we use them for. Continuing with the reading. Being created and put into this world with this intention, all actions contrary to it are to be avoided and rejected, and those which do not conduce to this end should be despised as vain and superfluous. Consider the wretchedness of worldlings who never think of this, but live as though they believe themselves created to no other end but to build houses, plant trees, hoard up riches, and such like follies. I will add, since we're living in more depraved times than St. Francis of Sales did, consider the wretchedness of worldlings who never think of this, but live as though they believe themselves created for no other purpose than a lifetime of sinful, sensual pleasure. You don't have to open, you know, you don't have to read too many articles in the newspaper to know how many people fall into that category. Uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. I fall into that category far too much of the time. We all fall into that category f far too much of the time. One of the purposes of Lent is to exercise a little self-discipline to think a higher percentage of the time about these eternal truths rather than to think and behave as worldlings. Uh, in this light, by the way, I will simply put in a little commercial that an extremely beneficial spiritual practice during Lent, and an actually an experience, uh, extremely easy one, is to say the Stations of the Cross every day. And uh, you can say the Stations of the Cross. You get the indulgence for saying the Stations of the Cross. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to actually say the rote prayers or the, um, the uh, Our Father, Hail Mary, and Glory Be in between every station, the you know prayers of um, St. Francis of Assisi for each station, and so forth. Actually, all you need to do to gain the indulgence of saying the Stations of the Cross, is to uh, look at a picture of the station, meditate on the picture. That's not even really required. Meditating on the station is required. And move from one station to the next. 
is really all you have to do um, and say a prayer, but the prayer can be ad-libbed. The prayer can simply be the meditation on the station. I don't want to get into trouble with this about the um, actual canonical requirements for the indulgence. I believe what I'm saying is true. I could be wrong. So I will just give a little confession, which is I very often do it simply looking at the station, meditating on what it means that Jesus went through that, just not for long sometimes, just for 20 or 30, you know, 30 seconds, trying to let it sink in um, what he did to himself versus what I'm willing to do for him, what he did for me versus what I'm willing to do for him. And then, you know, go down on a knee, you know, um, say the short, you know, we praise you, etc. for through thy holy cross, thou hast redeemed the world and then go on to the next station. That alone I find incredibly fruitful just to keep, basically to keep me remembering from day to day that this is Lent. Anyway, back to St. Francis of Sales. Um, Confound yourself, reproaching your soul with her misery, and for having forgotten these truths. Alas, you shall say, how did I employ my thoughts, O God, when I placed them not upon you? What did I remember when I forgot you? What did I love when I did not love you? Alas, I ought to have nourished myself upon truth, and I have glutted myself with vanity. Slave of the world, I have served that which was created only to serve me. One should detest one's past life. I renounce you, O vain thoughts and unprofitable fancies. I abhor you, O frivolous and hateful remembrances, O unfaithful and disloyal friendships, impure and wretched slaveries, ungrateful contentments and irksome pleasures, even sinful pleasures, I abhor you. And thou, O my God, my Savior, you shall be from henceforth the sole object of my thoughts. I will no more apply my mind to anything which is displeasing to you. My memory shall entertain itself all the days of my life with the greatness of your clemency, so mercifully exercised on me. You shall be the delight of my heart and the sweetness of my whole being. I thank you, God, who made me for so excellent an end. You have created me, O Lord, for yourself and for the eternal enjoyment of your incomprehensible glory. O when shall I be worthy of it? When shall I bless you as I ought? I offer you, O my dear Creator, all these affections and resolutions with all my heart and soul. I beseech thee, O God, to accept these my desires and vows, and to give your holy benediction to my soul, to the end that it may accomplish them through the merits of your blessed Son's blood shed upon the cross for me. Um, Again, I'm reading from St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to a Devout Life. It's available all over the place on the internet. Uh, If you just Google it, uh, you know, download PDF, St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to a Devout Life or some part of that. And uh, if you email me, you can email me at haveroytalk at gmail.com. I will send you a link or maybe even send you the PDF file if it's small enough. 
um, if you have any trouble finding it. Now, after the break, it's almost time for the break, so I'm going to like introduce the break, and then after the break, uh, things will get a little bit darker, and uh, we'll turn to meditation on death and on sin and on so forth. So for the musical break, um, I decided I would like to play the Dies Irae, the Day of Wrath, which is part of the traditional Catholic funeral mass, requiem mass. Um, and it's extremely sobering, and the music is very beautiful, and it certainly has a very strong Lenten flavor mood to the, to the music. So my intention, and you'll have to forgive my primitive um, engineering skills here, the production values that I can come up with, so to speak, uh, and I hope the sound comes across well and so forth. And if not, well, anyway, we'll see what happens. But before I go to the musical rendition, it's in Latin of the Dies Irae, I will read some verses of it in English so you get a, a feeling of it. Day of wrath and doom impending, David's word with sibyls blending, heaven and earth in ashes ending. Oh, what fear man's bosom rendeth when from heaven the judge descendeth, on whose sentence all dependeth. Wondrous sound the trumpet flingeth, through earth's sepulchres it ringeth, all before the throne it bringeth. Death is struck, and nature quaking, all creation is awaking to its judge in answer making. Lo, the book, exactly worded, wherein all hath been recorded, from there shall judgment be awarded. When the judge his seat attaineth, and each hidden deed arraigneth, nothing unavenged remaineth. What shall I, frail man, be pleading? Who for me be interceding when the just are mercy needing? King of majesty tremendous, who does, fr who does free salvation send us? Fount of pity, then befriend us. Think thy... Think, kind Jesus, my salvation, cause thy wondrous incarnation, leave me not to reprobation. Faint and weary thou hast sought me, on the cross of suffering bought me, shall such grace be vainly brought me. Righteous judge for sin's pollution, grant thy gift of absolution, ere that day of retribution. Guilty now, I pour my moaning, all my shame with anguish owning, spare, O God, thy suppliant groaning. Through the sinful woman shriven, through the dying thief forgiven, thou to me a, host, a hope hast given. Worthless are my prayers and sighing, yet, good Lord, in grace complying, rescue me from fires undying. With thy sheep a place provide me, from the goats afar divide me, to thy right hand do thou guide me. When the wicked are confounded, doomed to flames of woe unbounded, call me with thy saints surrounded. Lo, I kneel with heart submission, see like ashes my contrition, help me in my last condition. Ah, that day of tears and mourning, from the dust of earth returning, man for judgment must prepare him. Spare, O God, in mercy spare him. Thus ends the Day of Wrath, Dies Irae, 
And now let me, if I can succeed in the technical aspect here, uh, uh, play for you for a few minutes. You're a Well, uh, I, that has been our little musical break. That was Dies Irae, uh, chanted, Gregorian chant. Um, as I mentioned, it's, it's part of the traditional 
uh, Requiem Mass, Funeral Mass in the Catholic Church. Now, I just pulled that off of YouTube. There are any number of renditions of it. If you're interested and want to listen to it yourself and listen to it in its full length because I only played about three or four minutes of it, the spelling of that for is Dies, D-I-E-S, E-R-A-I-R-A-E. And if you simply put that in the search box on YouTube, you'll find any number of Gregorian chants of Dies Irae. Again, that's D-I-E-S, new word, I-R-A-E. Now, since we just had that beautiful somber Dies Irae, I'm going to skip a few of St. Francis' sales meditations and just jump ahead to his fifth meditation, which is on death because I have both bad news and good news for all of you and for me, which is we are all going to die. That is absolutely the ultimate certainty of our life is that we're going to die. And sometimes that's thought of as a bad thing. You know, the only two things, certain things in life are death and taxes, and clearly taxes are a bad thing. But in fact, we know better than that. We know that the fact that it's certain that we're going to die is the ultimate good news, because it means that absolutely any situation we find ourselves in our physical bodies is going to come to an end. If it's the worst suffering, if it's the worst poverty, if it's, you know, the most painful cancer or, uh, God forbid, being, you know, tortured to death, as happened, of course, to so many martyrs, it's going to end. It's certain to end. There's no doubt that it's going to end. And when it ends, we will be judged. And there are only two long-term outcomes from that judgment. And one is hell, which is infinitely worse than anything anyone has ever suffered between birth and death. And the other is heaven, which is not only infinitely better than any pleasure or bliss or ecstasy or even excitement, frankly, or love that one has anyone in the history of the world has enjoyed between birth and death. It's better than that. And not only that, it doesn't last just a few years or even a hundred years or even a million years. It lasts forever. Seems to me that's pretty good news, not bad news. So with that backdrop, let me get back to St. Francis de Sales' his meditation on death. Consider the uncertainty as to the time of our death. O oh, my soul, you must one day quit this body, but when shall that day be? Shall it be in winter or in summer? Shall it be suddenly or after notice has been given to you, by sickness or by accident? Will you have the leisure to confess your sins? Will you have the assistance of your spiritual father? Alas, of all this we know nothing. The only certain thing of all of this is that we shall die, and that always sooner than we expect. Consider that when the world shall end in regard to you, for this world will no longer be for you, it will perish before your eyes, for then the pleasures, the vanities, the worldly joys, and fond affections of our lives will seem to us mere shadows and airy clouds. Ah, wretch, for what toys and trifles have I offended God? You shall then see that for a mere nothing you have forsaken him, on the contrary, devotion and good works will then seem to you sweet and delightful. Oh, why did I not follow this fair and pleasant path? Then sins, which seem but little, will appear as huge as mountains, 
and your devotions very small. Consider the long, languishing farewell the soul must then give this world. She will then take her leave of its riches and vanities, and of all idle company, of pleasures, pastimes, friends and neighbors, of kindred and children, of husband and wife, in short, of every creature, and finally of her very body, which she must leave pale, hideous, and loathsome. Consider with what haste they will carry away that body to hide it under the earth, which, once done, the world will think no more of you than you thought of others who died. God's peace be with him, they will say, and that will be the end of it. O death, how void thou art of regard or pity! Consider how the soul, having departed from the body, makes her way to the right or to the left. Alas, whither shall yours go? What way shall it take for eternity? Shall it take its way to the right or the left, to the sheep or to the goats? No other than that which it has begun already here in this world. Pray to God and cast yourself into his arms. Alas, O oh my God, receive me under your protection on that dreadful day. Make that hour happy and favorable to me. Rather than it should not be so, let all the other days of my life be sad and sorrowful. I will then prepare myself for that hour and take all requisite precautions to end this journey happily. I will secure the state of my conscience to the utmost of my ability and take immediate care to repair the defects to which I am subject. Give thanks to God for all those resolutions which he has given you. Offer them to his divine majesty. Beseech of him to give you a happy death by the merits of his dearly beloved son. Implore the assistance of the Blessed Virgin and of the saints. So ends the brief meditation on death. Um, and I see we haven't gotten any calls, so I will simply continue uh, with the next meditation, which is on judgment. After the time that God prescribed for the continuance of the world, after the, let me actually back up. This meditation is on the general judgment. There are two judgments. It's worth talking about for a moment. There are, are two judgments that are referred to in, in Catholic dogma and Catholic theology. There's the particular judgment. When we die, when I, Roy, die, when you, Susan, die, or whoever it is who's listening, we will, at that point, be before Jesus and judged, and he will separate the sheep from the goats, he will basically judge us. I leave it up to him how he will judge us. Thank God he will judge us with a heaping helping, I hope, of his mercy. He will judge us and determine whether we will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. That decision will be made essentially at the moment we die. That's referred to as a particular judgment. Of course, as Catholics, we know that uh, there are two variants of those that are are at that point determined to go to heaven they are the very very few who will go to heaven immediately and there is the vast 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 majority who will need some further purification in purgatory but purgatory is temporary it doesn't change the eternal destination at the moment of death we will be judged in the particular judgment 
and the decision will be made, the judgment will be made, whether we will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Frankly, I think it's unrealistic for any of us to uh, seriously hope to avoid purgatory for further purification. And the illustration of this is the case of Saint Claude de la Colombière. Notice his first name is Saint. He's a saint. He's been ruled by the church to definitely be in heaven. He had the honor of being the spiritual director of Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque, who was a visionary saint who received the Sacred Heart apparitions. She received the favor from God. Actually, she was told by Jesus that Saint Francis de Sales, excuse me, Saint Claude de la Colombière actually passed a week in purgatory after he died before he went to heaven. So the way I look at it is if Saint Claude de la Colombière, I invite you to read a short account of his life, perhaps the Wikipedia account would be enough. When you see how saintly he was and how much he suffered and how devoted to God he was and realize that he still had to spend a week in purgatory, in the face of that, I just give up on any imagination that I might bypass purgatory. I think it's actually an unrealistic uh, vision that some Catholics have that somehow, you know, if we play our cards right, we will go straight to heaven, be sufficiently purified to show up, you know, on the streets of heaven, so to speak. However, that's all beside the point. It's a little mini catechesis on purgatory. But getting back to the point, there's a particular judgment where the ruling is made whether we will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Fine. Then we have this period in between then and the end of the world. At the end of the world, when this world is entirely wrapped up and destroyed, the physical world, then will come the general judgment. The general judgment, all of the souls of humanity for all of time will reappear before Christ and will be judged again. It won't change their sentence of heaven or of hell. But what it'll be is an opportunity to see, to see one's life in the presence of God in the light of all eternity. In other, or excuse me, not in the light of all eternity, in the light of the entire history of the world. So we will see not only what we have done right and this what we have done wrong, we'll see that of the particular judgment, but of the general judgment, we will see the repercussions of that for the rest of time, for the rest of worldly time. So if we have led a few people to God who have in turn led in their turn a few more people to God, we will see the entire pyramid of everyone who ended up in heaven because of the good thing that we did leading that person to God. Similarly, if we institute sin, excuse the illustration, but imagine we make money on the internet by starting a hardcore pornography channel, we will see all of the thousands and thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, perhaps of souls that we have led to eternal damnation because of our selfishness and because of our choices. So we will see the implications that our life has had for the rest of the human race until the end of the world. And that's really the key difference between the particular judgment and the general judgment. So with that mini catechesis, let me go back to St. Francis de Sales' meditation on the general judgment. After the time that God has prescribed 
for the continuance of this world after the many signs and horrible presages which will cause men to faint away with fear and anguish before the end of the world, a deluge of fire shall burn and reduce to ashes everything upon the face of the earth. Nothing which we see here shall be spared. In other words, the entire face of the earth shall dissolve in fire. Now, let me interrupt again. Um, I, at one point in my life, I was a projectionist in a movie theater. Um, I, I, but you don't actually have to be a projectionist to see this. All you have to do is be watching a movie with an incompetent projectionist. I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but there I was. I was watching the movie. It was a Western. My eyes were fixed on the screen. It was uh, like a cowboy riding into this Western town when the town started to go up in flames. I thought it was part of the movie, you know, the building to the left went up in flames, the building to the right up went up in flames. But then everything went up in flames and I realized that it was actually the film running through the projector that was going up in flames. So not only did the western town go up in flames, but the entire world in which that western town existed went up in flames. I've never forgotten that experience. Um, it was in the days, never mind, it was in the days when the uh, instead of a lamp in the projector, there was actually a carbon arc. And if you weren't very careful, you could uh, have the carbon arc actually ignite the film, which is what happened. I wasn't the world's best projectionist. But anyway, maybe it was a gift of God that I saw that. Because ever since then, when I read in scripture that the world will go up in flames, that's what I imagine. I don't imagine that everything in the world will go up in flames. I imagine that the fabric of the physical world itself will catch fire, just like the film in that um, movie that I was watching caught fire. It's the fabric of the physical world that will catch fire. And so, yes, everything in the physical world will go up in flames, but actually this physical universe, which we consider so concrete and real and the fundament of existence and reality will go up in flames because, in fact, it isn't the fundament of uh, reality, Real the, the true reality is the spiritual world, and the physical world is a uh, produced artifact in some sense on which we are to work out our salvation. Anyway, that's a digression, I hope a useful one. Back to St. Francis' sales. After these flames and thunderbolts, all men shall arise, and at the sound of the trumpet of the archangel, they shall appear in the valley of Jehoshaphat, but alas, in what different conditions? For the good shall rise with glorified and resplendent bodies, the bad with bodies most frightful and horrid. Consider the majesty with which the sovereign judge will appear, environed with all his angels and saints, his cross, shining much brighter than the sun, shall be carried before him as a sign of mercy to the good and of justice to the wicked." This sovereign judge, by his dreadful command, which shall be instantly obeyed, will separate the good from the bad, placing the one at his right hand and the other at his left. O oh, everlasting separation after this, they shall never meet again. This separation being made and the books of consciences opened, all men shall see clearly the malice of the wicked and their contempt of God, and on the other side the penances of the good, and the effects of God's grace which they have received. Nothing shall lie hidden. O God, what a confusion will this be to the reprobate, and what consolation to the saved. 
Consider the last sentence pronounced against the wicked. Go ye accursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Ponder well on these mighty words. Go, says he, a word of eternal banishment against those miserable wretches, excluding them eternally from his glorious presence. He calls them accursed. Oh, how dreadful a malediction. He adds into everlasting fire. Behold, O my soul, this miserable eternity, O eternal eternity of pains, how dreadful thou art. Consider the contrary sentence to the good. Come, says the judge, O sweet word of salvation, by which God draws us to himself and receives us into the arms of his goodness. Blessed of my Father, O dear blessing which comprehends all happiness, possess the kingdom which is prepared for you from the beginning of the world. O God, what an excess of bounty, for this kingdom shall never have an end. Tremble, O my soul, at the remembrance of these things. O my God, what security shall there be for me on that day, when even the pillars of heaven shall tremble for fear? Detest your sins, which alone can condemn you on that dreadful day. O wretched heart, resolve to amend. O Lord, I will judge myself now that I may not be judged then. I will examine my conscience and condemn myself. I will accuse and chastise myself so that the eternal judge may not condemn me on that dreadful day. I will therefore confess and accept of all necessary advice. Thank you, God. You have given me the means to provide for that day and the time to do penance. I offer you my heart, O God, that you may make good fruits grow from it. I pray to you, O God, to give me your grace, and I forgive all others who have offended me in any way, that you may be free to forgive me. Amen, amen, amen. So with that, we've come to the end of our time for today. You've been listening to Salvation is from the Jews. Excuse me. Excuse me. You've been listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with your host, Roy Shoman, who's me. And uh, usually we go out with music provided by the station, but today I think I'm going to go out again with the Dies Irae that um, I played in the middle of the show. And of course, I invite the station to um, cut it off at the right time for um, the close of the show. But I hope that we have time for at least three or four or five minutes of the Dies Irae. And with that, that's Roy Showman saying goodbye. Uh, you've been listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria again next week. Same time, same place. <laughs>